Welcome to the CPA Advisory Show. I'm Jeremy Wells, and with me as always is my co-host, Chris Hervishon. How you doing, Chris? Doing great, Jeremy. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. We have another guest in the studio with us, and I am pleased to introduce Trinity Scott. Trinity, how you doing today? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Trinity. Well, uh, tell us about yourself and your firm and what you're doing. I am a mom of four and I started my firm uh, when I was, I was a stay at home mom basically. And I do, uh, I started a bookkeeping firm using primarily zero and I've been doing it for about six years now. And last April, uh, I merged with a, another friend, Carrie Williams. So my original firm was T3 Bookkeeping, and we merged and formed uh, Seashore Numbers. So uh, that was her branding before she's been doing it about as long as I have. And we, um, we combined uh, our wow. efforts to try to alleviate some of that stress that comes from being a solo firm um, because, you know, all the decisions are left up to you. So what's the age range on those kids when you started? Um, when I started, <laughs> they were Six years. three to 10. So. That's a busy household. And then you're starting a business on top of that. What was that mm -hmm. process like? What, 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 what got you into bookkeeping? What made that seem like something yeah. that you wanted to do and that could be done with four kids running around the house. My three oldest were in school at that point. So it wasn't quite so crazy. Um, but so I went to college and got my accounting degree. And the funny part is that, you know, when I graduated, I really said I didn't ever want to work in the accounting industry. Um, and I was, I graduated from, well, I stopped going to college in 2004. I completed all my classes and, and, um, my degree says 2005 and that's a whole other story. So, <laughs> but, um, the, <clears throat> it was not too long after Enron and all of that fiasco. So as I was getting into the accounting program in college was when they changed to the 150 hour rule for the CPA exam. And, um, they, so, you know, it was something, my husband was in the military at the time while I was finishing college and, um, I just, that wasn't, college was not, school was not my primary focus. So staying in school for a master's degree and, uh, and sitting for the CPA was, was not high on my priority list. So, um, so I didn't go that route. And then, um, when, when my youngest was three, you know, we were, we were doing fine, uh, but we, you know, we had four kids. We were living in a pretty small house and we needed to find uh, some more income. And uh, actually my sister put me in 
a Facebook group uh, that was for specifically for female entrepreneurs, pretty much. And the um, there was a a business owner looking for um, she actually advertised for a virtual assistant, and uh, I you know, I was like, I can do Excel, I can do Word, I can do all that stuff, I can do this. So I submitted my resume to her, and she saw my accounting degree on there. And um, she ended up hiring somebody else for the virtual assistant position, but she asked me if I knew anything about zero. And I actually had never heard of it at that point. And um, so she was nice enough i said you know no i've I've never heard of it i was completely honest with her um but you know let me see what i can find out and so uh google all that stuff you know so they i ended up getting into the partner advisor program and completing the certification and uh so I worked with her for five years uh, as her bookkeeper and um, helped her, you know, really get her business going. And the um, and she ended up she had somebody uh, internal who uh, could do the bookkeeping, and she wanted to give them more hours, so she ended up doing that. So um, so we don't she's not a client anymore, but that was how I got started. And, you know, once I started with her and I understood that I could do this virtually and bring on other clients, um, I realized I had a business. So, (laughs) um, so it's not a conventional story, especially for CPAs who, you know, go through this log and everything to, to sit for the exam, but, um, that's, that's how I got started. That's awesome. So you're pretty early in the whole cloud accounting game then. Well, it was 2016. So yeah, I, I'd been out of school for 11 years at that point. So, um, and you know, had a couple of jobs that were un, not really in the accounting industry before, uh, our kids came along, but, um, once they did, I, I was basically a stay-at-home mom for several years. And um, one year I taught preschool and I kept other people's kids. And, you know, I did a couple of different things to, to help financially with the family. But, um, but really this was the first thing that was more like a career or a full-time job. So what was the process like transitioning from employee to having your own accounting business? Like, what were some of the things that were difficult? What were some of the things that were easy? Um, What are some of the things that you would communicate to our listeners who are maybe thinking about jumping ship and going out on their own, like things to watch out for? Everything that you hear from everybody is, I mean, pricing, I had no clue how to price. Um, I, you know, initially... I think I told her $10 an hour, honestly, um, because, you know, and then once I, once I got the zero certification going and I found the zero 
group on Facebook and all of that, you know, everybody was talking about, well, you do package pricing because that makes more sense because, you know, if the more efficient you get, the less money you make because your hours, you know, all of that. So all of that made sense. So I was, after the first month or so, you know, I told her, well, let's do a monthly fee. And, the, and I still think it was like $300 a month or something, you know, it wasn't maybe 250, something like that. So it wasn't a lot of money, um, which, I mean, we're still kind of struggling with that mindset, you know, of how do you price, um, small businesses that, I mean, cause a lot of who Carrie and I work with right now are pretty small businesses. And so we see their books and we see what they can't, can and can't afford. And it's, it's hard to say, you know, well, we, we need to be paid at least this much, you know, sometimes, but it, it you know, it's still a mindset thing that, that we're working on. So, um, because we know, I mean, our service is valuable, um, but the owners don't always see it that way either. So there's always that. And processes, we're still, I mean, you know what you have to do on a daily basis, but having good processes organized and you know written down that type of thing uh is difficult sometimes because you you're head down in the work trying to actually get something accomplished and then um you know you're you're not always taking the time to say oh well this is how i did that and then you go a month later and try to repeat the process and you know it's the typical stuff how did I do that? I can't remember what I did. So, you know, um, that, and that has been a challenge particularly for me because as I've gotten older and with four kids and a husband and a household and a business, you know, my mind is not, my memory is not what it used to be. So it's, it's a little overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I, I go over that with with not just colleagues, but clients of my own, when I'm trying to push them, even, even the solo, uh, solo operators, right. I'm trying to push them into thinking about documenting those processes mm-hmm. and having those SMPs place, not, not even because someday you might hire an employee and they need to know how to do things, but maybe a couple years from now, right? Like you need to know how to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you did it once a few years ago. That doesn't mean you'll be able to, you know, it's not like riding a bike. You'll not be able to just jump right into that project again if you get it two or three years from now. And so leave that trail of breadcrumbs for yourself of, oh, wait, this is how I started off. This is what I did next and that kind of thing. So, yeah. When did that start to kick in? Right. Because you had this first client that came to you and, you know, you're still trying to figure all of this out. You're trying to figure out pricing. You're trying to figure out, um, you know, the, the software, all these different kinds of things. Like at what point? you know, where was the inflection point where you said, wait, I'm not just doing this once I'm doing this over and over again for a business. I need to start thinking of this like a business owner. What was that moment like? And when did that happen? I mean, honestly, it took a couple of years. Um, cause it was just a lot of one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, and the marketing is super challenging. So to me, And so there's not a lot, you know, at first you have 
one or two or three clients and um and so you're you're not really thinking that way like not thinking as a business owner that I need to have a repeatable process or anything so I I'd say it it took a little bit of time for for that thought to kick in you know so are you still exclusively zero or have you gone to the dark side and started working with QBO also? I or QB, QB QuickBooks, I guess in general. I, I should allow for desktop as well. Right. I did actually get my QuickBooks certification uh within a year or two of my zero certification. Um but our we try to be zero exclusive right now. Uh we don't always succeed, you know, there's always, um, a client that comes and they've got, they're so embedded that you're just like, uh, I don't know if it's worth moving them. So, um, but the majority of our clients are zero right now. Um, and I mean, I've done, I had a local nonprofit that I, I did desktop with them. Um, I had, I had a local business that he, he wanted to convert to QBO. So I did a desktop to QBO conversion. Um, I never did put him on zero and, you know, we've done, I've done cleanups in both and different things. So, but I did end up trying to, you know, I kind of was like made a decision going to be zero exclusive and I let my my QBO certification go but my Mm -hmm. partner Carrie she's actually QBO advanced certified so um even though she prefers zero as well uh she still has it Chris I might be wrong here but I think you might be the first guest of ours that is is zero exclusive or at least close to that and I know I know um my firm is pretty much the opposite we, we're pretty much QBO mm-hmm. exclusive mm-hmm. um i think that's but, right uh, yeah yeah but i i think i think blake oliver who we just recently had on the show i mm-hmm. think when he was running his firm you know several years ago that he was uh zero and, and zero was the new thing at the time so since yeah. you've worked with both i think it's fair to ask you know what keeps you liking zero more and and why is that your firm's choice and why do you think that's better for your clients i just like zero better i i honestly think it's because i started in zero and um and so i'm i learned it i feel like i learned it inside and out and it makes it a lot easier for me but as far as zero versus qbo um i don't know when i you know when i worked in it there were just, it always seemed like there were unintended consequences sometimes when I would do things. And I'm sure that was, uh, you know, had a lot to do with my basic understanding of the program, but, um, it always, always felt like I would do something and I was like, surely that's a glitch that that happened, you know? And I was, it, it just made me feel crazy to work in it, honestly. So, <laughs> but I did have one of my first QBO clients was particularly challenging. It was a coffee shop and they used a Revel POS. 
which was supposed to be, you know, very closely integrated with QBO. And there were some circumstances around that. And I would, you know, there were, there were things that came up that I was just like, now, why is it doing that? I don't understand, you know, so, but, but there are some basic functionalities that zero has that are to me, I mean, it makes the job easier, the cash coding, the, um, the, um, the audit trail is different, but it's, I get super annoyed when I go into QBO and look at the audit trail and then I can't get back out of the audit trail. <laughs> like you have to like completely click out and go, you know, that, that drives me crazy. Well, okay. So I want to go uh, back because you mentioned uh, a Facebook group that mm-hmm. got all of this started uh, yeah. for you. And I know I, I hang out in a couple of those and, and I know you do too. Mm-hmm. What is, what's the role of social media been as someone who is trying to get this business going and it's not necessarily, you know, you, you, you didn't start off as an entrepreneur, right? You weren't trying to just mm-hmm. start and run businesses. So yeah. the, between the, 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 you know, learning how to do things, you mentioned asking questions about pricing and mm-hmm. then the support that you get in these kinds of groups, what's the role been of social media in terms of getting started and then running your business? I mean, it's been pretty significant because um, you know, there's a lot to learn when you're a business owner, especially if you've never done it before. And, um, there's some of the groups on Facebook have some really intelligent and knowledgeable people in them who are willing to spend their time answering questions that are sometimes, you know, lower level type questions. Um, but yeah, um, there's marketing help, there's bookkeeping knowledge, there's tax knowledge, there's, um, you know, processes and systems and all the apps, you know, anytime there's uh, a question as to, you know, how an app works with Xero or QBO or whatever, um, a lot of times, you know, my first go-to is the a zero group or you know workflow water and hole kelly mark kelly parks's group or kate's group uh you know the bookkeeping side hustle group so or tax twitter which is i think where we first met jeremy so um yeah there i mean there's a lot people are very generous with their time and um and i end up you know trying to help people new bookkeepers, particularly starting out uh, a good bit, just because of all the help that I received initially uh, when I was starting out. So So what platform, like what social platform would you say is the biggest lead generator for you? And then what percentage of your total leads are coming from social versus something else? What might that something else be? We don't get a lot of leads from social media, um, marketing wise. Um, we, we're still perfecting that process. So, um, I don't know. My, our most recent lead was very non, 
um, non-techie is the Chamber of Commerce here that I'm uh, that I'm a member of. So, you know, now the one before that was it was actually a Facebook uh, lead in a way. It was a friend of mine that I went to high school with who I'm still connected with on Facebook. And uh, so she, that would, that would be the only way she was aware of what I do. Um, But she reached out through Facebook and, and actually I have, she's my second client that came about that way. It was an old friend that I've, that I'm still connected with on Facebook. So probably Facebook is, is where we've gotten the most leads. Um, but yeah, as I said, marketing is definitely a challenge and we're still working on that component of our business too. Yeah. Local networking. That's something that I've gone back and forth on, uh, cause I've done the chamber. I, I've done the, the local, uh, networking groups. I haven't done BNI. I've been invited to a few of those, mm-hmm. uh, chapters, but I, I never pulled the trigger on joining. I've done um, BNI still in BNI. Yeah. Yeah. We should do an episode on BNI at one point. Four and a half years. All that local network. Wow. Wow. Well, so so let's explore that a little bit then, right? Because um, you know, I think there's a conception, and and this might be my own, but I I don't know. I've had conversations with others about this that, um, you know, the the way the 21st century is is that we should be out there generating all kinds of leads online. That our website and our social media should be driving that lead generation. That that uh that inbound marketing, but you know, what the, as far as the local groups, right. You know, it, 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 I think the other, the flip side of that conception is, is that that's, that's a little bit more, um, old school. Right. And and so mm-hmm. if you're getting old school type leads, then they're, pro- it's probably going to be more of old school expectations. What, yeah. are, you know, what are you finding as far as their setups when they come to you? Is it, you know, is it outdated business mm-hmm. models, outdated record keeping this kind of thing. And so what is your typical engagement look like when you get a local lead uh, like that? And what does that, what does that usually look like? Yeah, you're, I mean, you're totally right. Because when I, I actually kind of groan when I get local leads because they're usually, you know, they're, they're not necessarily the most tech savvy people. I mean, not that they are, they don't know how to use technology, but they don't know what's available to them. Um, so like the most recent lead that we got, they, there's, you know, it was one of those cases where this is how we've done it for 20, 40 years, who knows how long. Uh, and so they're working with their CPA and basically, they're entering things into spreadsheets and physically taking boxes or notebooks down the road to the CPA's office. Uh, and then the CPA is using software, but they're using desktop and they're, you know, basically double entering everything, um, between the two of them. And, um, so yeah, we're, we're about to start this engagement, uh, and, the goal is to, you know, actually have 
an accounting file for them that they can access, that the CPA can access at tax time, you know, that we can, um, we can create reports for them for their board and everything and bring it down to them. Their chart of accounts is literally nine pages long. Uh, so, you know, we're going to try to bring that down to a man, a more manageable, uh, number and, um, and make their reports customized so that, you know, we have the ones for taxes, but we can customize for the board so that it's more understandable or relatable for the non-accountant board members. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show and we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. I know from running uh, a practice that does both the tax and books for, for my clients that it, I, I tend to get sort of tunnel vision, right? And I, mm -hmm. I treat everything like it's tax season in terms of the accounting, yeah. you know? And so, mm -hmm. and so I'm, 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 I'm adding to the chart of accounts or I'm categorizing things the way I know they'll show up on the tax return. And mm -hmm. so you look, you look at the, the, the P and L and it looks very similar to the tax return, right? In terms of labeling that kind of stuff. So how are you, you know, be, how, how are you arranging things and setting things up in those reports to make it to where it's more beneficial for ownership management as opposed to right. just whoever's preparing the tax return? I tend to be kind of like you, Jeremy, where it, I, I mean, I, I don't do taxes, but, I, you know, that's my thought process. But Carrie is a lot better at the communicating to the business owner side. But as for boards, for the ones that are associations or nonprofits, uh, you know, trying to condense things into the projects, you know, uh, that they're working on so that they see the ins and outs and, you know, exactly what it's costing to put on this program or, uh, you know, that type of thing. So, so it's more relatable to the, down to earth stuff, not just the, you know, um, the bottom line, which can get kind of, I mean, great, there's a number there, but what does that really mean? So, um, and we use a lot of customization in zero with our reports and, uh, they've added a lot of features just in the last year or two that makes them super customizable. Um, so we can, you know, we can, we can kind of like QBO had, I know QBO has sub accounts and you can roll up into sub accounts and that type of thing. And zero has, uh, done some things that make it kind of like that too, uh, in their reporting. So you can do that. And then like, um, for instance, I have a client who has investors and they want to see, you know, the management salaries and then the development uh, costs and, you know, the overhead. So
separately. So they have about five categories and I've, I've customized their, uh, P and L so that, um, so they see the bottom line on those major categories, even though they can see the breakdown on what goes into that. So you mentioned what seems to be like a few different types of businesses. Have, mm-hmm. um, have you niched down? Have you thought about niching down? What was that process like? Where, where are you in that journey? The concept. So this is my whole, my whole thing with starting my own business. The concept makes tons of sense to me, the niching down so that you can, <clears throat> so that you can apply, you know, the same processes across all your clients. I mean, it's, it's very logical. However, actually implementing <laughs> that has been a little bit more challenging. Um, so I do have a wide variety of clients. Um, Carrie, when we merged, she was trying to focus on um, more like associations, like homeowners associations and things like that. And uh, and that's what, that's kind of the direction we seem to be going in general. Like we, we tend to, um, to get clients here lately that are in that direction, like nonprofits, um, that need that kind of fund accounting. And she's, she's definitely got a ton of experience doing that. And so, uh, we've here lately, it seems like we've, we've come up with a couple of clients like that. Now I live in a very agricultural area in Texas and, um, so I also have a chicken farm. My first client was, was a beekeeper that I was talking about earlier. Um, and then recently we got a daycare. So, you know, there's a lot of variety, uh, in, in what we do. Yeah. There's a lot going on there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would, so tell us a little bit more about the merger process. Like, what was that like? What were some of the things that you thought were going to be difficult, but were easy? What were some of the things you thought were going to be easy that were difficult? Like, what are, you know, what's that process like? Carrie and I had been friends for several years. We met actually the first time at ZeroCon in Austin in 2017. And, um, we had talked about this for a while and, I think it really helps that we're on the same page in a lot of ways. Um, our, our family is priority to us both. Um, she, she has an adult son and, but she's also caring for her, uh, her father and so in her husband. And so, uh, and then she understands you know, that I have four kids and, and that's a big priority for me, you know, is to be available for them. So, um, so we had a lot of alignment in our, uh, values. And so in how we liked, we want to run our business. And a lot of that is we, we do want to stay on kind of the smaller side um, because as I said, you know, we have other priorities as well that 
Um, so we're not looking to grow, you know, a multi-million dollar firm or anything like that. That would, that would be crazy unmanageable for us. But, um, so, but as far as, so that, that was the easy part was, you know, the alignment of our values and everything. Um, what's been a little more challenging was, is the separation of duties kind of thing, you know, what, how do we come together and not duplicate each other's processes and that type of thing? Um, we've, cause, cause basically, you know, we're, we're both used to doing it all in our firms. Um, although she tends to be better at the sales piece of things and the marketing. So what we've kind of come down to is that she's doing a lot of the sales and marketing and I'm trying to do more of the day-to-day technical stuff like the behind, you know, the actually doing the work kind of thing. So, which she does, she does too, but, um, but that's, that's kind of how we've, come down to separating things out um so and combining systems and figuring out you know how we're gonna just making the tech work because we you know she had an account and I had an account and combining it all together that was that was a challenge um you know we had to get with our zero rep and be like hey can we squash our our zero accounts together basically and then also our we both use gusto for payroll and so you know we uh we went to our gusto reps well she had a gusto rep that that she's had for like five years so we ended up with hers and um he he helped us kind of get our accounts uh merged together and that type of thing so the the actual down in the dirt technical stuff that that was the kind of challenging at first to to make sure everything will still be like do you have access to this file or which account am i logging into here and which password are we using you know that kind of thing so um we're we're still it's going pretty smoothly but we're still learning that's a really interesting point one that i hadn't thought about from the perspective of a firm acquisition or a firm major is mm-hmm. a firm merger is, is, you know, you have your zero advisor uh, list of clients. I have mine, or you have your QBO advisor mm-hmm. list of clients and I have mine. Do I add yours to mine? Do you add yours to, you know, do I add mine to yours? Do we, do we create some third account and then add them all, you know, ha- how how did you think about that product? I mean, did you just sort of offload that to your to your uh, reps at those companies and let them figure it out for you, or did you have to do some manual work to move the pieces around to get everybody yeah. situated where they needed to be? Well, we you know we just went to our rep and said this is what we want to do, and then they said, well, this is how we think would be the best way to do that, and so we ended up like. Uh, we still have our separate accounts, uh, and then we created a, a, an account for the new company, and then 
they moved everybody into our account. So that was that was so so they created a third company and then started migrating everybody from your two different companies into that one. Right, right. You would think with like M and A in the accounting space now that that sort of situation is just super common and that they would have. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering like if that if that took them aback, right? Like, did that surprise the account rep or were they just like, yeah, this happens all the time. We can get that done in 24 hours. Like what? How how was their reaction to that? Did, Did that seem out of line or did that seem like normal standard operating procedures for them? I I think they've done it a few times, not not like a million times, you know, but they've done it a few times. So there, they had some experience, uh, with, they have an idea of how to do it, but they don't have a process for it yet. Right. 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 Kind of like me, right? Like (laughs) that resonates. They were, but they're always super helpful. You know, anytime we, we have a question or a problem, you know, just to go to them. Did any, did the clients notice anything on their end or did they try to make that as seamless as possible? Well, we did, you know, we sent out, sent out a letter and said, this is what we're doing. But I mean, as far as like their zero or anything like that, they, you know, there's no, um, there were no hiccups on the client side as far as I remember or that, you know, uh, the, the things that changed were like logos and email addresses, you know, things like that. So, um, that they noticed there, but, oh, and, and of course payment processing, you know, we had to change, um, to the, you know, move everybody that we did have a hiccup. We use, um, go cardless, uh, in to charge our clients and, uh, there was one month where something happened and we double charged some people, but we, we saw it immediately and fixed it so that, you know, the clients didn't, I don't think anybody really fussed too much, but we, it was just, you know, the, you know, I can't believe we did that. Oops. You know, and we have to go back and fix it all now. So, um, so that, that was interesting but yeah <laughs> so you've talked a lot about zero and you mentioned go cardless what are some of the other apps that are in your tech stack and like what kind of rounds out that process like what's customer facing what's back office that sort of stuff obviously zero uh gusto those are both customer facing go cardless is so we we've been using go proposal and then it for our proposals and engagement letters, um, we're actually talking about moving off of that because it's just very, it's, it's actually, I mean, there's a lot to it and it's a little more complicated than we're liking. So, um, so that, and, and the, you know, the clients don't really see go proposal like they don't see the brand the you know the brand of what you're using but but they do see the interface at least initially um and then go cardless obviously they're they're having to sign the mandate and all that so that's uh there's some interaction there but not a whole lot but 
I'm probably not really answering your question very well, but, um, and then we, I mean, we actually, we just try to keep it really simple basically. And so we use like Google drive and, um, and then we use, uh, we've been using Pixie for our, uh, practice management and it does have a client portal, but, um, we haven't, we haven't used it too much. Um, but primarily, I mean, it sounds simplistic and maybe isn't, I don't know, but we use Google drive a lot with our clients and shared, shared Google sheets and things like that. So, um, but yeah, we try to, we try to keep it pretty, um, low key as, as far as, and HubDoc, of course we use. So, mm. and that's pro probably HubDoc is primarily where clients interact as far as tech goes. When it comes to your customers, what, you know, we talked about how a lot of them are coming from uh, a background where they're not necessarily the most uh, uh, up-to-date in terms of technology. What uh, are you advising them in terms of updating their tech stack or, you know, are you recommending any, uh, any additions to their tech stack or anything to help automate processes, you know, from a back office, mm -hmm. from an accounting perspective to help them out? For the, this new client, we're trying, we're going to implement zero with them. We're going to implement HubDoc um, so they don't, you know, which is obviously receipts, but it helps them communicate with us so they're not physically toting a notebook full of invoices or receipts to us. Um, and then um, we're, we're looking at I've used Veeam for accounts payables uh, in the last year, but um, we're looking at CorePay because they need um, multi-level approvals for their payments, payment processes. So um, that's that's one we're we're gonna look at to implement for this new client particularly. Um, and and Veeam has a multi-level payment approval process, but it it's not quite as smooth as I would have liked when I tried it out with my current client. So, um, but yeah, we we definitely encourage anything that's going to streamline their processes and and bring them into the cloud and bring them into. Yeah a place where we'll have yeah. access, they'll have yeah. access, and then the tax accountant will have access. So, and, and that's, that's the biggest thing is, you know, don't want, like, I mean, we, even though this particular new client is local to me, I cannot be, you know, running up to their office every day or doing any of that. So it's, it's important to, even though they're technically local, to still maintain the virtual uh, part of a virtual accounting firm. So, um, because it's, it's, um, 
I don't know, that, that just helps with that work-life balance on our side too, you know, where, because you, I've got, you know, my kids will call from school and be like, I'm sick, I gotta come, I need you to come get me, or, you know, I forgot my lunch, or, you know, whatever, so, uh, so I, I can't be in an office. Well, since you're, since you're managing relationships, uh, virtually, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm imagining there's a lot of email involved, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much true of anybody, whether you're virtual or in person, but, but what else, what else on top of email are you using to stay in touch with clients and now with your business partner? Uh, you know, how, how are you managing the communication side of things? Um, obviously zoom, um, that's a huge one. And, um, other than that, I mean, email and as I said, Google sheets, like today I had a, a meeting with a client, uh, in, you know, we went through accounts payable and it's, it's the, the classic accounting, you know, spreadsheet. So, um, but, but it being online, you know, makes it easier for the, yeah, I find it, I find it easier in a way, right. If you're trying to push cloud accounting, then we should probably be pushing virtual relationships to go along with it, right? That you don't need mm-hmm. all of your accounting data sitting on a desktop or in a file cabinet. Mm-hmm. So I also don't need to physically yeah. be there in person to help you wade through it, right? It would mm-hmm. probably be easier, in fact, for us to review spreadsheets, review financials, review how the bookkeeping yeah. system works, right? We can do all of this on a call, uh, on a on a video call, right? As opposed to me standing over your shoulder in front of the computer showing you how things Private. work. To me, it's actually easier because you know they're comfortable at their desk in their environment you know i'm comfortable here at my desk in my environment and um and you know it's the classic eliminates the commute and eliminates you know a lot of that stuff so it's i don't know it there there is something to be said for in person and there, that ha- that still has its place. And I think one more uh, important aspect of the tech stack inside your firm, especially now that you've got a, a partner, you mentioned figuring out what your two roles were, but then also figuring out who's responsible for what. So how are you keeping track of the workload, the commitments to clients, the daily tasks that need to get done? Are, are you using a practice manager? Or are you using task manager? What are you using to keep track of all that? Yeah, we've been using Pixie to do that. Uh, so far. Got you. I, I think you mentioned that, but I wasn't yeah. familiar with, with the name of that. It's a practice management software software. And, but actually we're, we're just now starting, we're probably, we're probably going to move to 17 hats um, because um, I used it for a short time when I first started out and they do a lot more now than they did. And it's, it covers a lot of ground. Yeah, that's the that's the hard thing about tech, right? Is like you can mm-hmm. try it one year. I, I find this with a lot of uh, accounts and bookkeepers who uh, will 
compare QuickBooks Desktop versus QuickBooks Online. And mm -hmm. it's usually, and they refuse to transition to QuickBooks Online, right? Because mm -hmm. they tried QuickBooks Online five years ago, right. didn't like it because QuickBooks Desktop did so much more right. than QBO. And now mm -hmm. five years later, there's a lot more parity than there was before. The tech is always progressing. So, you know, there's there's always something new out there, which is also sometimes a problem because <laughs> of this, you know, the shiny object syndrome, but, um, but yeah, we're, uh, we're, as I said, we're trying to keep it simple. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a fine line. It's a fine line between, uh, like you say, keeping it simple, keeping it streamlined, keeping it it's simple and consistent for the client as well, mm -hmm. right? Because yes. you know you don't want to be switching, uh, you know, document portals or mm -hmm. bookkeeping software. You don't want to switch that too often. But then at yeah. the same time, you need to stay on top of what's new, what's possible, and and you know what changes have been made in software mm -hmm. that maybe you tried a few years ago and you know yeah. decided against. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, good deal. Well, okay, so let's. Uh, you know, thank you so much for sharing your background. Let's uh, close things out uh, this way because we're coming up on time. So if somebody out there is listening to this and thinking, you know, I too would like to uh, either start a bookkeeping side hustle, maybe they're already an accountant working in industry mm -hmm. or corporate or something like that. But this idea of a bookkeeping side hustle is, is interesting to them. Or maybe it's another stay at home mom that, uh, you know, wants to start something on the side like that. Where would you recommend they get started? And uh, how can they get in touch with you if, if they want to uh, contact you directly and ask you uh, some questions about your experience? Kate Johnson's group, this bookkeeping side hustle group on Facebook is a great resource. Um, the, as far as, I mean, really the place to start is either with QBO or zero is, you know, to get your certification in either or both of those. Um, because, um, both programs have a good system set up. Uh, I mean, whatever, and you know, other people use Sage or something like that. So that, you know, whatever you're going to use for your tech is, is a great place to start uh, for, or your not tech really, but accounting, <laughs> uh, accounting program. So, um, and there's a lot of, obviously, you know, both companies are selling a product. And so you're, once you are certified, you're selling their product. And, you know, we all need to be realistic about that. But at the same time, there are some great people who work for both organizations and are super helpful to, um, to help advisors get their businesses started if that's what they're looking to do. So, um, as, I mean, my experience mostly is on the zero side, um, but I've met some great Intuit people too. So, um, and the support that's there for that is, is, is great. So, uh, but yeah, and then just get, I don't know. I kind of immersed myself in the accounting community on 
Facebook and, and Twitter and everything. So there, and there are several Facebook groups now that are geared toward, um, those just starting out. And, um, so there are, there are a lot of resources out there. And, and that's the thing is when I, when I started out in college with my accounting degree, like the, I mean, we've heard it on, in our communities a lot, the professors and everything, the whole strategy is to get your degree, get your master's, get your CPA and go to work for the big four or, you know, whatever large firm. And, you know, I live in a small town and I, I didn't really want to live in a big city, you know, so that was one of the reasons I, I didn't ever really have any desire to, um, to work in the accounting industry when I first graduated, because I just didn't know what was out there. Like working in industry wasn't ever really promoted when I was in college, you know, owning your own firm wasn't promoted. It was strictly talked up to go work for the big four. Um, and now it's so easy to yeah. just spin up an accounting firm, right? Spin up yes. a bookkeeping firm. You yeah. know, you can, you can do that with a laptop mm -hmm. and a decent internet connection. Yes. Right? Like that's really all you need. And a, and, a, and, a, and a little bit of accounting background, right? A little yeah. bit of accounting knowledge, yeah. just enough to be dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I was definitely a, just enough to be dangerous when I first started. <laughs> so. Good deal. But six years later, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously a different story now, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome, Trinity. Well, I, I, so if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? My email address is trinity at seashorenumbers.com, which are... Seashore numbers, it's S-E-E-S-U-R-E -E -E numbers. It's kind of a play on words. Carrie lives at the beach, so. <laughs> gotcha. And, gotcha. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then I'm on, we're on Twitter at Seashore numbers and I'm on Facebook uh, as Trinity Touche Scott. Good deal. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Trinity. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air, too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Thanks again. 